Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we're going to keep the trend going with uh, having guests that aren't RMTs, but are experts in something that we're fucking not at all. <laughs> and uh, truth be told, um, a little bit of nepotism is slipping in on this. I have uh, my first cousin on the phone. She is across a massive body of water somewhere. Um, yeah, and uh, a little a little Amanda take over on this. Hey everyone, it's Amanda, and yeah, we're, we're we've got family on the phone today. We're talking to Daniela, who's a cognitive behavioral therapist, uh, originally from Trinidad and living now in England. I actually don't know which part, but I'll let her tell you that. And um, I love to tell my kids that they have cousins in England who sound just like Peppa Pig. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, Daniela, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Sadly, they don't watch Peppa Pig, so they don't sound very much like Peppa Pig, but they definitely have a British accent. Which is so adorable. Um, So why don't we start with this? Why don't, for anyone listening, why don't you introduce yourself, a little bit of backstory on how you got into this field and what you actually do. And... uh, Yeah, I mean, the reason that we wanted to talk to you today is because there's a lot of talk on social media and in the news and in the regular media about the effects on people's mental health during the pandemic. And as you and I spoke off mic, clinicians are concerned about post-pandemic and what's going to be taking place. So um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of an introduction about you? Yeah, so I've been in the field of mental health for about 13 years. Um, And I did my undergrad in psychology psychology and then I did an internship in the States uh, doing some behavioral stuff and then I moved across here to London to do um, my MSc in cognitive behavior therapy and I've been practicing for almost a decade that makes me feel really really old <laughs> um, and I currently work as a senior cognitive behavior therapist here at our health service um, but I also work in another company also the senior CBT therapist. Um, and I just finished up doing um, lecturing on a MSc for CBT course. Uh, so I think that's about me. I work primarily in what we call primary care here, which means that usually either yourself or your GP refers to you um, and it's kind of mild to moderate anxiety disorders and depression that I primarily work with. Um, and I do some specializing in postnatal depression. So that's been really interesting, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. Mm-hmm. Just kind of thinking about the effects of our mental health right now during this. So that's a bit about me. Oh, and I have two small, very busy, busy, busy bees. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know how you're doing it, actually. How are you dealing with working from home and still, I assume you're still treating patients virtually, you're still lecturing virtually. How are you dealing with that and dealing with your two little girls who are, I think, a little bit younger than mine? So I, I, I don't know how you're functioning right oh, now. Oh, yeah. So they're four and two. Um, and I've been incredibly lucky that because I we're considered essential workers, they still go through it to their trial Monday on a Tuesday and Wednesday, which are my core days that I do clinical work um, because, like you said, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, we've had to convert everything online um, from the lecturing that I I just finished doing. I just finished up with the university um, about a month ago, but all the lectures that we had to do were, were done online, all the clinical supervision, which is basically supervising um, trainees and the clinical work that's all done online and via the phone um, and it's been an interesting transition um, but I think it's another skill set um, and as a parent on the days that they are home it's just trying to juggle between us you know okay what's your time is your meeting I have a meeting at this time you know figuring it out and sometimes watching Frozen for probably 50th time um, <laughs> it's what it has helped us as well. Yeah is that what your husband's doing right now is he watching Frozen with the girls? It's, if it's not Frozen it's probably um, Mulan that's okay. the, the second favorite at the moment. <laughs> I love it well let's jump right into this I mean I think I started to tell you off mic that on my way in here I was listening to talk radio and they were discussing that the statistics are showing that there's already um, an increase in anxiety and depression and suicides and like this is already showing and we've only been in this lockdown for what I think this is week seven 
So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts or the, you know, the talk amongst mental health professionals about how this is affecting people who already have pre-existing mental health conditions? So I think first off, if you think about biologically, you know, we are social creatures, you know, so even though we've evolved and we have technology, we have homes to keep us safe, we don't have natural predators kind of walking around anymore um, to attack us. At the end of the day, we still are social creatures when you actually kind of need that that social community or network to keep us going. I think that's really important for people to really remember that although, you know, we have FaceTime and, you know, technology that we're able to do this together today, um, at the end of the day, we still need to connect on a, on a very social and emotional level. So I think that's the first thing that people need to remember. Um, the internet sometimes it doesn't cut it for some people and we can't literally be online 24-7. Um, so that's where the loneliness starts to set in. Um, it is quite understandable. If you look at the depression aspect, um, it is linked to the the social deprivation I just talked about um, because if we're doing less because we're restricted, um, I'm sure you know that research has shown, I'm, I'm sure you probably know this, but um, the less active we are, it is understandable that sometimes our mood dips because we kind of need um, to have those kind of endorphins to come up, you know, um, to help with stabilizing our mood. I'm sure you could probably clarify those bits to me, but I just kind of know the the, the biological aspect very briefly. Um, but then if you think about it, if you're deprived from social interaction, you're going to feel lonely, you're going to feel alone. And that's when the, the low mood also sets in. Um, and anxiety-wise, um, if you think about what we're going in, going happening at the moment um it is a period of uncertainty and the way we conceptualize um how we manage uncertainty within the clinical world is that uncertainty kind of brings that elements of anxiety because it's a fear of the unknown yeah and you know we're very lucky now in technology if i asked you oh manza what is you know 200 degrees celsius in fahrenheit you can just go on google can't you yes i can because i do not know that answer <laughs> well, I don't know it either. But we can go really quickly now on on Google to find out, right? Right. So if you think about it, we've as a as a as a as a whole, we've kind of learned that kind of instant gratification in terms of um getting information. Whereas with this pandemic, there is no clear guidance. There's no timeline to say okay in two months we're going to be finished with this you know we'll have a cure by next week friday we'll be back to your lives by x time there is no certainty so with the uncertainty brings a certain level of anxiety because it's the unknown and because we've now as a as a species you know gotten so accustomed to getting things kind of ASAP that also increases your anxiety even further. Uh, 100%. Um, you said that you specialize in postnatal clients. I I was never formally diagnosed. I've talked on the podcast before that I had a certain amount of postpartum anxiety and I didn't realize it right away. It was afterwards when I was like recalling what I was dealing with after having my second child. I realized that that's what I was dealing with. And a, a big part of my anxiety was when I would get really overwhelmed and when I would start to feel anxious about nothing, by the way, because that's the nature of anxiety, there would be nothing extraordinary going on, but I would get overwhelmed and start to feel anxious. The only thing that helped me was I needed to feel in control of things. So I became this Mm -hmm. crazy researcher. Like my friends would tell me like, you're causing your anxiety. And I would try to explain them. It's actually the opposite. When I feel like I don't have control of things, that's when I feel overwhelmed and anxious. So I, you know, I was reading all of these things and reading all of these books and articles and you know I wanted to know everything there was to know about everything when it came to dealing with my babies because that made me feel a little calmer and mm-hmm. same thing within my home when I would get very overwhelmed and very anxious Mark would tell me that I would suddenly resemble an army ant because I would have to clean and organize everything and anything and everything had to be perfect but it was all about control. So I can imagine yeah. people right now who feel like they have control of nothing because as you said there's no yeah. answers, there's no certainty. How can you plan your life when you have no idea of what's going to happen next week? Exactly. And part of it is you know the worry about what's going to happen or what may or may not happen. Um you know a lot of people are facing unemployment, you know they might be um not a position to to see their their family members or you know if they're out of state or something or or um just far away. Um 
or maybe their parents are in care homes, you know, and as you know, they have restrictions not in this country. I'm not too sure. I'm so sorry, but I don't know what the restrictions are, um, you know, over in Canada. But over here, they're kind of strict about there's no visitors allowed. Care yeah, homes, I'm pretty sure we're the same, that you can't visit yeah. anybody in senior care right now. Because that's where these outbreaks are happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it. what you're saying, it makes complete sense. You know, we, we do what we can to try to manage the anxiety, but the answer of keeping busy also is not a sustainable um, coping strategy Absolutely. in the long term if you think about it you know and that's something to definitely think about it's about how people are are coping during this pandemic um you know it's interesting that you talked about the increase in suicides um and agreed i mean there there has been an increase um and i do believe there's an increase in you know anxiety and depressive presentations um however we're not seeing that necessarily translate into new referrals for therapy at the moment um and i know this um from not only a, a public space but also private spaces i know i have colleagues who are who work in private therapy um and i think that part of it is that people are still in almost a state of denial that it's happening or shock that it's happening mm-hmm. um and if you think about it only until you kind of find your bearings then you can figure out a way forward if that makes sense so even though people are experiencing you know understandably an increase in anxiety symptoms increase in depressive symptoms it's not that they necessarily are seeking the the help that they need um, and i know that particularly the service that i work in you know we're definitely trying to put the message out there saying we are open you know please come to us you know we can support you please right. Um, you know, I know mental health professionals are, across the board are definitely working on increasing awareness, you know, whether it's on the internet, whether it is, you know, on the radio, um, whether it's, I guess, via this, you know, to say, you know, if you need support, you know, we are all here to help you guys, you know, just, you just need to, whether it's ask your GP for a referral in this country or whether it is, you know, to, if you want to do self-funded or via insurance, you know, find, go online to an accredited um, site and find a therapist um, in that board. Yeah. And you know what? I have no, I have no proof behind this. This is completely anecdotal, just based on talking to other people who are dealing with anxiety and, um, you know, feeling a little bit depressed right now, being in isolation. I, I think that the reason that therapists are not necessarily seeing an increase in patients is I think, as you said, one, people are in denial, but two, I think everyone's chalking this up to, well, like everybody's probably feeling like this, you know, like this is, mm-hmm. this is unprecedented. We never thought that we would live through something like this. So people who are feeling really sad and depressed or anxious or whatever it is they're feeling probably are just chalking it up to, well, like, isn't everybody feeling like this right now? Yeah. And I think, the, I think that, that holds some truth that actually everybody is in the same situation, but we can be in the same situation, have different perceptions mm-hmm. or kind of understandings of the situation you know you said to me a bit earlier um that you know after babies you know you felt really anxious you didn't know why but you just felt really anxious and you had to find ways to kind of calm yourself whether that's researching or doing lots of activities etc because that's the way of coping with the anxiety i mean in particular you know i don't know how much you suffer mark know about cognitive behavior therapy but in a really small nutshell if i'm going to summarize um it looks at the relationship between your thoughts your feelings and your behavior and the kind of interactive um component between them so what you do with your act in your behavior impacts your mood and your thoughts and similarly what you're thinking about impacts how you feel and what you do so it's it's not a just a one-way street if that makes sense yeah and um in in cbt the way how we look at it is actually the way that we interpret a situation um that really is kind of the driving factor between how we feel and how we react so the thing about it is that you and i have an automatic stream of thoughts that go through our mind when we're in the grocery thinking to ourselves should i buy cherry yogurts or blueberry yogurts um or whether it is on the podcast we're not thinking am i talking too fast am i talking too slow <laughs> am i talking too much um these are automatic thoughts that, that are actually we're not always aware of and that is what sometimes tends to trigger the anxiety because we sometimes you talked about being not in control um you know so it could be you know what if I'm not a good mom I don't know how to do this you know like what if everybody else thinks I'm not a good mom and similarly we think about the parallel to the pandemic now one person could be thinking you know like you said you know well okay everybody's in the same boat but I have my family I'm feeling okay somebody else might be you know um having any we're all in the same situation but they might be interpreting this as you know um this is you know nothing is going to ever get better you know um i will never be able to recover from this um life is not worth living 
so which can take a, obviously an entirely different um, tune just based on those thoughts. Does that make sense or have I lost it completely? No, I'm still with you. And well, I, I mean, I understand that. I understand that the way that people perceive situations varies from person to person and the way that people cope with situations varies from person to person. Like you said, it's not sustainable to be in a constant busy state to deal with your anxiety. And thankfully, I recognize the fact that I was in like a fight or flight mode all the time after I had my second child. Like I figured that out on my own and figured out why I was yelling at people for no reason, figured out why I was feeling overwhelmed by nothing. But I don't think that necessarily everybody might recognize what they're doing mm -hmm. and how they're coping. So that's that's where you guys come in, the mental health professionals that can help people understand why they're behaving a certain way, why their thought patterns are going in a certain direction and try to figure out some, I guess, healthier coping strategies. Um, I know a lot of the stuff you post is incredibly positive. So it makes me smile every day when I see, I'm actually looking at your Facebook cover photo right now because it's up on Mark's screen and all I see is in giant letters, gratitude. Yeah. I mean, I think it is about just pausing each day and it's kind of reflecting on, you know, what's going on, how are you feeling today? It's not because I think particularly in this situation, like you said, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in a week from now, a month from now, but we can focus on what's happening today, mm -hmm. you know, so kind of worrying about, you know, what if I can't exercise a month from now? But if you can exercise today or go forward today, then, you know, you, you focus on what with you very well said earlier, what's in my control? So what am I able to do? Right. And I think you said, you know, about understanding and identifying what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what what's not so helpful. And it is quite hard to figure out what's not so helpful, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I can tell you from, I'm a mental health professional. I can tell you that first two weeks that we swapped um, to, lock, to lockdown and I had to swap everything from face to face to to basically online I know that I was on my laptop just way too much you know um checking in with my staff you know more than I would normally would because I felt incredibly anxious about that swap and I had to recognize that wait I'm just on my laptop way too much trying to fix everything I cannot fix everything in one day you know what I had to pause and say to myself what is realistic with the time that I have mm -hmm. and am I taking care of myself and the answer was actually no and I had to really kind of schedule in time to like you know step away from your screen whether it is we you know we had good weather so having a picnic out in the, in the garden with the kids at lunchtime that really helped to kind of get that you know physical and mental space mm -hmm. away from my laptop so it's not really easy we don't always you know recognize in that moment that we are doing something that's maybe not the most helpful, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, you had mentioned earlier that, and I, I sort of alluded to it in the introduction, that clinicians are thinking a lot about post-pandemic. And part of the reason I think we wanted to talk about mental health and how it's affecting people is we're at the stage of isolation, which makes sense to me because people, I think, are now starting to go a little bit crazy. But we're at the stage where people are protesting and where people are getting angry and where people are saying mm -hmm. this style of life is not sustainable. So even if they might have initially believed this is what's necessary to protect people and to protect people's health and to take care of our frontline workers, now people are at the phase where they're like, this is getting crazy. Now, I'm not saying all people, but there's it seems to be increasingly more that there's a lot of people who think we need to start looking at getting some normalcy back. And a lot of the stuff that's been circulating, at least what I've been seeing online, is talking about mental health. Like, are we really saving people's lives or are we putting people more at risk for mm -hmm. other concerns such as mental health issues that are eventually going to be really detrimental if we mm -hmm. don't get people out of isolation? What is your take on all of this? I mean, I think health is, you know, I want to say, you know, we have to reflect on what the scientists are saying, the professionals. But as we all know, um, you know, sometimes politicians have their own agendas about what is best for economies. Um, you know, whereas for me, I, I more think about, you know, if you're not around, if you're like, if you die, you're not going to be in a position to uh, use your money, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, whether we whether cases reopen or not, I think it needs to be more of a a, a really balanced approach, if that makes sense, rather than it being let's open floodgates. I think it's about putting some realistic things into place. You know, you said about well, some people are really fed up, some people want, and I think it kind of comes back to 
you know, the way that you look at a situation, the way what your values are as an individual. Um, you know, if your value is on, you know, um, a focusing on the longer term, if that makes sense, and you can kind of think about a longer term, but actually it's a cost, but for longer term benefits, yeah, then your your feelings are going to be very different from somebody who's thinking actually, you know, that we talked about immediate gratification a bit earlier. Yes. You know, if they kind of want things like, no, you know, I want to have my hair done right now. I want to have my nails done right now. I want to, you know, um, go to the gym and, you know, right now. Um, I think, you know, they're obviously going to have a different, you know, emotional response and behavioral response, you know, to the first group that I talked about. But I guess, you know, I do hear what people saying about about mental health, and I think that's where mental health services, you know, are stepping up about what we can do. Um, studies have shown over and over again, research has shown that, you know, whether it's therapy via, you know, telephone, whether it's face-to-face as an individual or face-to-face as a group, or whether it is via video or whether, whether it's via um, text therapy, you know, um, different things work for different people. And I think as professionals, we're working really hard to do the best that we can with what we have, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, you you said as well that, you know, all the mental health professionals that you know are trying to raise awareness and let people know we're open, we're here to help, you know, come yeah. see us. I think that another issue, and I don't know if we've already discussed this, though, is that many of us are unemployed. So let's say I was starting to go down that rabbit hole again and starting to have anxious thoughts and starting to recognize, you know, this is not good. I'm not coping well. I need some help. Well, I would then also think part of the anxiety is because I'm not making any money. And if I'm not making any money, I'm not about to call a therapist and pay out of my pocket because I don't have insurance. So I I think this is why there's so much anger amongst uh, the people that are starting to protest is they're like, we can't even get the services we need because we don't have any money. And part of the reason that we're depressed is we don't have any money. Yeah. And I I totally understand that. And I think that's why, you know, on so many levels, I am really thankful for where we live because we have our national health service, which is NHS that provides free treatment to individuals, whether that's, you know, physical health care or mental health care. Um, and I've, I feel really, actually, really, really thankful through, at this point, you know, during the pandemic that we actually have that accessible. Because I do hear what you're saying about it. It's, it is, can be really expensive to have therapy privately. Or, you know, it could be a real hassle to do three insurers and you think to yourself, oh, God, like, I'm just so fed up with everything right now. You know, trying to figure out insurance is the least of my worries with everything going on. So I think this is why, you know, I think as a society, we really have to think about, you know, when I know this is not a political thing, but, you know, you have to think about what are priorities for governments, you know, um, with healthcare, because if they're taking away money, then they're taking away resources. Um, It's, and we've seen that here. Um, And I think it is about, okay, if you don't have money to access therapy or you don't like unfortunately don't live somewhere where there is free therapy available like we have here in the UK I think it is about thinking about what the resources that you have available and they have you know whether it is you know we talked about social connection way at the beginning of our chat today a lot of people are isolating themselves not physically but also emotionally and not talking to people whether it is you know not facetiming or what we're doing together today um it is about you know getting into contact with a friend or a loved one at least once a day and get it just whether it's just reaching out just saying hi how are you or even if it's talking about something um it is also about coming back to well what can you do maybe you're saying to me amanda well i thought but what what I felt anxious. So what could I do? And I knew I could do these things and that helped my anxiety. So part of it is thinking about some strategies or whatever word you want to use, but what tends to help me to cope, whether that is reading a book for, for an hour to kind of get my mind off of things. Is it, you know, watching a show? Um, but I can also appreciate that watching the news for five hours a day is probably not as helpful, if that makes sense. You can think about, you know, whether it is you are able to go for work, making sure that's part of your routine, whether it is, you know, listening to music for kind of five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day of your favorite band. Um, you know, if you have kids at home, you know, take a mindful moment with them, you know, so when they're coloring, you color too, you know, because you can either A, worry um, for five minutes and that's, that worry is always going to be there, like you talked about finances a bit earlier. You know, or B, you can spend five minutes with your little one um, coloring 
or that whatever Disney princess or whatever they're, they're coloring for that day and spend five minutes there focused on an activity. Because I think it comes back down to choice. And, you know, you talked about not being in control. And the thing is, we are not in control when it comes to things about, you know, um, if, if somebody decides to lay us off or, you know, if the government is not doing X, Y and Z. But what we can look at is, OK, well, what can I do? Rather, rather than what cons I do, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I did have a question, though. I wanted to know how important is language in all of this? So, for example, you'll see a bunch of people online saying that, they, oh, I'm quarantined. Well, you're not quarantined. You're not sick. Do you know what I mean? How does that play into, into the psyche of everything? Or uh, the idea of we're social distancing and we're doing physical distancing versus we're keeping a safe distance. Do you see what I'm saying? We're self-isolating. Yeah. Like the language that is being used how does that play into the whole mental realm? It comes back to when I was telling you about what cognitive behavior therapy is. Remember what I said to you about how we interpret information? So let's do a, a little exercise together. And it will probably illustrate what I want to say. So when I say the word apple, what is the first thing that comes to your mind, Mark? And I promise it's not a trick question. I think. No, 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 no. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I've got a weird Amanda, mind. Amanda, I think the what, weirdest what is the shit. first thing that comes to your mind when, when I say the word apple? See, when you say apple, do you know what I honestly think of? Well, this, uh, this is, is where, for the exercise. But this is where I'm not serious. Like, when you say apple, I think cellulose. And when I think cellulose, I think digestion. I can't digest. Then I start to think, if I ingest an apple whole, I will shit out an apple whole. Like, that's what I think of. <laughs> you need to Great. do some so work with your cousin, man. <laughs> so, Amanda, when I say the word apple, what comes to your mind? The first thing that came to my mind when you said apple were actually my kids because my littlest one eats apple slices like orange slices. See, and I think about pooping out apples. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like, you can't ask me this stuff. I can't participate in this. <sighs> and when I, when I think of the word apple, I always think in my mind, I, I always hold an image of a gala apple. So they kind of yell and red ones. Oh yeah, actually those are my favorite. Oh great. So the thing about it is that the three of us, I gave you one word and all three of us either held a different image in our mind, a different memory or a different meaning. All right. So when I do this exercise, actually with in probably every single group therapy that I've done over the last five years, I always do this exercise because I get all these different answers. Marks was the first uh, digestive, maybe because it's Sorry. your career. But I've heard <laughs> things like, you know, like my phone, I, I've heard pie, I heard tree, I've heard I don't like apple pie, followed by a very disgusted facial expression. You know, I get a load of, uh, oh, I hear oranges or pears or fruits or people have lots of different thoughts or images associated. So coming back to your question, the government is using a lot of words, and these are all the governments, and this is including, in my opinion, the WHO, is that they use terminology, but they don't always, but then everybody else doesn't continue using the terminology in the way that it's the, the actual meaning. Does that make sense? Yeah. So people then end up just using words, and you're like, well, exactly what you said what does that mean because my understanding is different from your understanding because I could have heard it from you know um I know that your press prime minister is Trudeau so you might be like well Trudeau is explained this way and I'm like Boris Johnson explained this way and then Mark is like yeah but WHO might say something else and we might all be like well, what does this mean so we all hold different meanings and in addition to the use of the word some words can be really triggering for some people. So things like isolation and quarantine can feel really restrictive and imposing on individuals. Mm -hmm. For some people, um, they take it super literally, meaning that they cannot leave their house at all, not even their backyard. Yes, um, we have friends that are know? literally like I've been um, I've been trying to call people like as you said we can't necessarily go visit our friends but I've been trying to call all of my friends like not daily that's aggressive I have two kids but you know just reach out to people see how they're doing just for no reason like just literally this is a mental health how are you doing kind of call and I had one friend we FaceTimed the other day and she hadn't been outside I said, what do you mean you haven't been outside? She's like, I am terrified. Her husband has severe asthma and she has a young son and they literally just stay in their house all day. Yeah. And I was like, well, like, can't you just go for a walk down your street? And she's 
She said, it's so confusing though, because on one hand, you're supposed to say so many, you know, feet away from a person. But she said the one time she tried to go out, she said, I thought maybe I should go for a run. And then she got afraid and got spooked because another runner ran past her. She's like, how are we supposed to not breathe on each other when we're heavily breathing and running and we run Mm. right past each other? And that's it. She hasn't been outside. And that's tough because, you know, we, we just talked about being active and, you know, if you think about, I mean, you'll probably know this bit more about this than I do. But in terms of if you think about, you know, we need fresh air, we need vitamin D from the sun. I think it is. Yep. Um, I'm from the Caribbean, so I took this for granted <laughs> about growing <laughs> up in the sunshine. Um, but now that I live in a different country, they always talk about the importance of having your kids outside all year round. You know, so um, whereas I'm like, it's cold, stay inside. You know, the government <laughs> is always like, stand up outside. Um, but I think that's really important because you, that in itself shows that her interpretation of the information she's getting, you know, is un- understandably kind of, she's interpreting in a certain way and that's impacting how she feels and what she's doing as a result. Yeah. it Well, and like Mark said, he's, he asked about the language, I think, because he's very tired of everybody saying they're quarantined. I'm like, he's like, no, you're not mm. quarantined. You're not sick. But, but it is a trigger, right? Even, yeah. even just the term social distancing, you know, physical distancing, it's, it's, it can be a massive trigger, whether you're yeah. predisposing mental health issues, whether you suffer from mental health issues or whether you don't think you do at all, right? All of this language, language mm-hmm. stuff sinks into your your mind and makes you think and act and be certain ways yeah yeah it's very much linked to what amanda was saying earlier but that fight or flight kind of uh response because you're perceiving it as a threat so you're going to be in a in an elevated sense of anxiety for a sustained period because you know your amygdala is kind of going off about you know there's a threat going on you need to respond when this all first started and we were initially using the term social distancing and then physical distancing came later and i think it's because yes. of that reason because it was so triggering like it's like you can't even talk to people so what happened was we live in a condo and I had gotten into an elevator and there's signs in our building that say no more than I think it's two or three people in an elevator at a time because that's the only way that you can maintain your distance so I was in an elevator by myself and it stopped two floors below our floor and a man got on and he stood an appropriate distance away from me and then he was kind of looking at me and you know when you can tell somebody wants to speak but they're not speaking like he was just looking Mm -hmm. at me like he wanted to say something So I kind of just like met eyes with him and gave him a little smile. And he said, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to act anymore when I'm in public. I don't know if I should say hi to you. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to you. Like, I don't know what to do. And I could just like feel his anxiety. And it was like, we're just two people in an elevator. Like you can, you can still say hi to a person, you know, it's, it's normal and healthy that you can still say hi, you know. Not to uh, be too disgusting, but to quote our prime minister, just don't speak moistly on don't me. Don't speak moistly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you said? Oh my god, yeah. it's it's like an actual like meme here now in oh, Canada. Our uh, prime can you minister, please send it to me? I, I, I definitely will. He got that's what up. happens when you go no, off the I teleprompter. Think, I, think, <laughs> I think that's completely understandable, and you know, I think you know this is where people interpret things quite differently and. I think they've kind of now associated distancing, not just the physical aspect, but also the um, the aspect of just communicating. Yes, you know, because Mark talks about language, but then that obviously then impacts on a communication, doesn't it? And I just think it's it's going to be really interesting, kind of after this, how we really um, how we interact with things. It's, you know, you talked about eye contact and and talking, Amanda, and it made me think about. So my husband does a very different job from he works in IT. Um, and he has many more meetings than I tend to do in a day. And but he never has his video video on. They're on speaker. Whereas when I have videos, because I'm in mental health, we always have video on. And if you don't have your video on, they're like, we can't see you. <laughs> and you have to put your video on. And he was like, why do we need to have a video on? I'm like, I think it's just because that they're just a that in my field we rely so heavily on like, you know, whether it's non-verbal or verbal cues and, you know, looking at body language that it's just natural for us to have a video on. It's, we feel quite disconnected when we don't have videos, if that makes sense, because then you can't, pick up on those cues that we rely on he works at it he's he's used to being isolated right <laughs> exactly <laughs> he, he's, so he's like when you it. have meetings do you get all like dressed up and do your hair and do your makeup and is is your husband is your husband walking around with no pants on while he's doing his <laughs> meetings <laughs> 
I think I think we're both in a kind of comfortable kind of way of working, to be quite honest. Um, but I think it's I think this is really going to have a massive impact on I think majority of people's mental health. I think we're, we're already um, getting more distant as a society pre-COVID. If we think about technology and you know the pervasiveness of it in our um, you know interpersonal communication. So if you think about you know you go up a coffee for a friend, the phone's out on the table, you're checking it throughout. Maybe just give an example. Or people go to a movie, which is one of my pet peeves. And then the next thing you're in the movie, and the movie's going on, they're texting, and I'm like, we're in a movie. Like you know, please focus. <laughs> um, so if you think about, we were already distracted before, and now we're not even talking. You know, I don't really know. Um, it's going to be interesting when this is all done. You know, um, if people are able to kind of, you know, find their way in this new norm, or does it have to actually be spelled out to them that you can speak to each other? If that makes sense. Yeah. Have you noticed that people seem just colder? So, for example, yes. in our house, I'm the one that does the grocery shopping, and I tell Mark every time I come home from the grocery store, I have this icky energy that's all over me because people are just not even friendly anymore. Like, I understand, you know, we can't congregate. We're not going to be, you know, high-fiving each other. Like, that I understand. But because of social distancing and because you feel like you have to stand so far away from people, it's everyone's just sort of in a bad mood and there's just not even common courtesy sometimes. Like, I feel like people yeah. are just well, being rude to each other now. throw everything in the mix. I've, I'm stuck at home with my fucking kids that are just <laughs> bugging the shit out of me. My wife's just uh, just driving me nuts. Now I got to stand in a fucking line at this grocery store just to get in. Yep. And now this motherfucker uh-huh. is like right behind me, like breathing on my neck and I'm scared, <laughs> yeah. period. So like, I'm just angry all the way around. Yeah. Not me. I don't do any of these things because that's just I'm talking about everybody else, right? Yeah, no, I, I love my kids. I love my wife, and I don't grocery shop. <laughs> I understand why people are like that, a hundred percent. But I've tried to make it like a personal mission of my own when I'm out at the grocery store. If I do happen to walk by someone and we do catch eyes, I'm at least smiling. Like even if I'm not saying hi or not speaking, so I'm like, this is just, oh, this is just getting so sad that like we literally don't even like make eye contact with people. It's like, let me just get in, get my groceries. Like no human come anywhere within 20 feet of me. Never mind six feet. Don't come within 20 feet of me. I just want to go home and go back into my bubble. Like it's so, it's so sad to be out in public right now. It is. It is. Um, And I think that's the fair, you know, um, if we come back to, you know, your fight or flights, which is, you know, really, I think what's happening right now, um, you know, when we're in that kind of flight mode, we're not really attending to those things, are we? You know, we're not going to be focused on, okay, well, what is actually going on around me right now? We're just looking for a quick exit. And that's what happens when people go to the grocery. They just want a quick exit. They just want to be able to get in, get out, you know, Mm -hmm. minimize, quote unquote, you know, the, the, the transmission, if that makes sense, which makes me think about, I don't know what you do, Amanda, when you go to the store, um, but, you know, thinking about hand sanitizer and anti-back wipes, which, you know, the government talks about, but then what about those people who already have diagnosed OCD, you know, and uh, they have a fear of contamination? We're basically saying, okay, then do this. And then what happens after COVID has finished, you know, and they have been doing these rituals and these behaviors in, in excess that maybe you and I would be doing. And then they have to kind of navigate their new normal after this. You know, you all talked about communication. Is that going to be communicated about when we don't need to be doing this as often or as intensely, you know, as we would during COVID? Have yeah. you... Have you reflected on that at all? So much. We actually, in the beginning, we were doing it more in a joking type of way, like, because we're RMTs, right? So we're already um, very particular about disinfecting and cleanliness because, again, we're touching people's bodies. So between mm-hmm. each client, I would already um, disinfect all the surfaces that my clients touch. So I've got a bench in the room. I would wipe that down. I'd wipe down the stool that I was working on. I'd, I'd clean my lotion bottle. I would clean the doorknobs because, of course, when I'm leaving, I'm Way touching chairs. You know, like, yeah, I would clean everything thing anyway. And then I, you know, I go and I wash my, my, from my fingertips to my elbows. Like this was normal practice for me. And then mm-hmm. once this started, we, we had reflected on it a few times more in a joking way, like, oh, now the rest of the world is just doing what we've been doing all along. But then mm-hmm. I started to notice that I was becoming crazy about it. And I mean, I'm saying mm-hmm. crazy in, in the way describing me, not anybody else, but I realized that I was going so overboard. Like I would touch something 
that I know I had mm-hmm. just cleaned. I know nobody else had touched it, yet I would touch it and then I would immediately disinfect my hands and disinfect the surface again. But I'm the only person that had come into contact with it since the last time I cleaned it. Like I was getting just a little bit yeah. too much. And so I have thought about there are probably people right now. And again, my friend who's afraid to leave the house is probably people afraid at when they're at the grocery store. I know, for example, when I go and I'm trying to pick out produce before all this started, I'd be picking up everything and checking it out and, you know, trying to get the best ones. Now I'm literally standing there so that everybody else can see I'm not touching all the stuff. I'm literally standing there with my like hands behind my back looking at things and I just pick up the one I'm going to buy because there's signs everywhere. If you're not going to buy it, don't touch it. Well, it's also like the dude that's driving by himself in the car by himself that's wearing a mask, right? It's the same idea. Yeah. We've noticed that a lot. There's people in their own vehicles. Yeah. You're you're by yourself. Why are you wearing a mask by yourself? It's about considering safety, but also thinking about what is helpful. And, you know, um, I think that's a line that's being just it's nobody really knows where it it stands right now, is it? Mm. Um, You know, you talked about not picking up things, but as a a parent of a child with multiple food allergies, I constantly have to check the label, even if it's the hundredth time I've bought it. Right, because your kids I have know. allergies from everything from like nuts to eggs to dairy. Your kids <laughs> dairy, yeah. A, yeah, you have and like a laundry list of allergies. Things. So I can't be one of those people. I'm really sorry, but I cannot be one of those people not checking. And people could be like, I saw so many comments online about, you know, you can check online. I'm like, okay, so you want somebody to pull out their phone while in the grocery to Google this so that they're basically touching their phone and possibly passing gyms onto their phone to check this thing. And actually, you don't even know if it's completely accurate. So do I buy this thing that is possibly allergenic, take it home to my house, realize it's allergenic, to have to go back to the grocery to retain it? Yeah. I mean, if we just all followed, you know, good hygiene, which is, you know, please don't, you know, don't lick your hand and touch things, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, or sneeze all Great, over things. I can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, I just, it is, it is really, I think it's a really a mind for people, people with anxiety disorders right now, um, because they really are just so anxious and they don't know, particularly if you worry with, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, where you worry about lots and lots of different things, you know, and it's really hard to tolerate uncertainty. And this period is uncertainty, you know, my heart really goes out to all those people who really, really, you know, um, struggling, you know, emotionally through this pandemic, you know, um, and I know that researchers are working really hard in the field of mental health that actually um, last night I came across this paper and I was absolutely stunned at how quickly it came out, but it was looking at using I'm not going to be too technical, but it's using an existing um, treatment protocol that we use in cognitive behavior therapy to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. They actually look at the application of kind of after clients come out from like critical um, illness and ICU. So, and they they kind of looked at the application of it. So what what we could think of, you know, post-COVID and what clients may present with or have been presenting with. And I thought that was amazing that, you know, actually so many countries are still not even past the peak you know they're still in the middle of it and here we have this amazing piece of research that can really help us as practitioners to really apply the tools that we already have and the protocols that we have in treatments to this specific pandemic yeah that is really interesting and and amazing that people are thinking about that because the more I talk to you the more I realize not that I didn't know that this was really affecting people's mental health but just actually having this discussion I'm thinking about all of the different ways that people are being affected and might not even realize that you know their their mental health is declining so you much you know who i can't stop thinking about i can't stop thinking about people on the receiving end of domestic violence yeah. i can't stop yeah, thinking that comes about, up daily. i can't stop thinking about people that are addicts and and i don't I, I haven't researched or looked into it enough about the safe injection sites in toronto like are they still open are they closed like i can't stop thinking about those people yeah and that's actually something i have written down here mark so you can definitely kind of you're, you're definitely reading my mind i want to talk about domestic violence as well um because actually studies have shown that you know domestic violence has increased obviously um throughout the situation and Clinicians are, you know, trying their hardest to figure out, well, what is safe? Because, you know, somebody might be in a domestic abusive relationship right now and they're still living, they're living with their perpetrator. So it's not actually safe for clinicians to necessarily undertake that piece of work with them psychologically just because it's literally not safe. Because if your perpetrator is in the next room and can hear everything that you're saying and you hang up with your therapist, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, 
they, they're probably going to be at risk of, of harm from that person, you know, and even with kids, you know, a lot of parents are really struggling with their, with their managing their mood and they might, you know, um, they might be, you know, abusing their kids or their partners, you know, so, or even someone who may be in a, less capable of taking care of themselves. And so I completely agree with you, Mark, about, you know, those people who are really, they are really trapped, you know, um, if you think about it, if you think about the word trapped, I mean, they're trapped, you know, in every sense, aren't they? Yeah, it's frightening to think about, like I, I said on a recording the other night, like I recognize when I speak on all of these subjects that I'm speaking from a place of privilege. I have a mm-hmm. safe home. I have my family with me. We're all healthy. We have food. You know, we're we're okay. We're doing just fine. but this is not the case for so many millions of people. And it's it's hard for me to think, I'm way too empathetic to think about it. Like, to be honest with you, I find what you do very fascinating. I just don't know that I could do it because I don't know that I wouldn't take my my patient's emotional distress home with me. I don't know that I could, I mean, I assume that's part of your training and, you know, you know how to do that and you know how to um, separate your work from home. But I I. I don't know, the more I think about how many people are suffering with all of these different things that are possibly going on with them, it's just so sad and so depressing. And, you know, a a big part of anxiety for a lot of people, other than not being in control, is the amount of conflicting information that we're getting all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, one week we hear, wear masks, don't wear masks, wear gloves, don't wear gloves, hospitals are overwhelmed, hospitals are empty. Go outside, stay home. Yeah, go outside, don't go outside. This is the death rate. No, this is the death rate. Um, There was false reports and people were being listed as COVID deaths when they weren't COVID deaths and then you've got all of these different conspiracies like people don't know what to think or what to believe and yes I'm in agreement with you that we should really leave this to the experts but even the experts aren't totally agreeing on things right now so it's very and then you have everyone that's like really really skeptical that doesn't trust anything anyway right experts might be saying something's like uh, I can't get into that the problem is I fall in that category of people so I like I understand my own anxiety because I'm skeptical of everything I hear anyway like you said at the beginning Daniela People have their own agendas. So even people that, you know, we expect are looking out for our best interests, it's hard not to feel sometimes Mm -hmm. that, are you looking out for my best interest? Mm -hmm. Everybody has an agenda. Everything's a business as well. Like money really does rule the world. And right now there's a whole bunch of us not making any. So we're realizing like, oh, maybe we don't need so much money. But the people that are supposed to be making the best decisions from us, it's hard not to feel like some of their decisions are also ruled by money. Like I'm I'm not going to go in. I'm not going into conspiracies, but I'm skeptical of everything I hear in the media, everything I read online. I don't take anything for face value. My answer to almost everything when it comes to anything about the pandemic is, I don't really know. I don't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've reflected a lot of, you know, what I think a lot of people are thinking about, you know, I just, and I think what it it comes down to, I just want to live my life in a way. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think that's what this pandemic is really, really preventing right now is people living, you know, because living means connecting. It means doing a job that you find purposeful for some people, maybe not. Um, but for you guys, it's about something that you find purpose in. You know, it is about being able to have freedom, which I think that it's taken away from so many of us. I, I think for the majority of people, it's really the freedom aspect. But I think, you know, it comes back to what can I do? You know, if the government is saying, okay, maybe it's not about always focusing on, okay, well, what is the actual truth in 100% of this situation? But maybe it's about saying, okay, well, we know that it's still rampant and people are still getting infected. Okay, so what can I do as an individual? What is yeah. realistic for me? You know, you talked about your friend who, is a neighbor who doesn't want to leave her house. I mean, if she has a garden, can she go in her garden at, you know, where she feels safe? You know, because, you know, so it, what can I do? What is actually realistic for me? I think that's a helpful way of looking at it and thinking to ourselves, you know, is what I'm doing helpful? So in terms of if I'm watching news literally five hours a day, is that actually helpful for my mental health and my well-being? No, the answer is no. Anyone listening, that's not a question that has a, a multitude of answers. The answer is no. You will drive yourself crazy watching the news five hours a day. Don't do yeah, it. Yeah. And similarly, if you were, you know, um, 
I know I can appreciate, you know, like some people are in, you know, flats, etc. You know, but even if you're not able to literally, you know, go to a park, you know, what about opening the window and you know, like look, literally looking around you and like noticing what's around you? You know, if your friend who doesn't want to necessarily go running, can is it safe enough? I don't know where she lives, obviously, but if she lives in a house, can she just kind of leave her front door open, you know, um, you know, and sit down there for a cup of morning tea or coffee. I did actually, I did actually suggest that to her. She has a, she has a very small backyard. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. anything massive. It's not like she could run there, but I did actually suggest that to her. I'm like, do you open your, your patio doors? Do you sit outside? And she did tell me like, yes, because as I said, she has a young child. So she'll go outside with him in the mm-hmm. backyard, but that's the only place that, but at least they're doing that because otherwise I couldn't imagine if she was like me living in a condo, she would literally be in a box. Like, yeah, it would just be it, it just way too much. But I 100% agree with you. I want to go back to that point you made about um, not being so concerned about what is 100% the truth right now. And, you know, I think that a lot of people are focused way too much on trying to get to the bottom of this and trying to be the detectives. And yeah. at the end of the day, even if you figure stuff out, who ultimately has control of opening things back up? Who ultimately has control of lifting this lockdown and whatever? It's it's not us. It really is the government's decision of when things are opening back up. So maybe focusing a little more, like Daniela said, on what you do have control over and what you can do. Yeah. Are there any positives coming out of this whole thing? I want to hear from Daniela first. Okay. The one positive I could think as the clinician is that it does kind of make us more flexible in how we do our practice because the for the vast majority of psychotherapists they're going to be they are trained to do everything face to face and individually um but i think it is about working flexibly because you know a lot of people think therapy has to be face to face staring into somebody's eyes for it to be totally effective but also there are lots of other types of ways of accessing treatment that is just as effective because not everybody's the same not everybody wants somebody to stay them into the eye, you know, deeply and have a long, meaningful conversation. So yeah, just one tool. <laughs> you're talking to you're talking to two people that are not very good at eye contact. So we get you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I think in one way it makes us more flexible as clinicians, but I think also it is helping for for I think for for the public to understand that actually there are other ways of having therapy. It doesn't have to always be face to face. It can be telephone, it could be video, it could be talk type type talk sorry therapy like it provides an opportunity for everybody to really pause and reflect on what's important to them because you know we've talked about what it has taken from a lot of us whether it is employment whether it is freedom whether it is that social you know um that social aspect whether it is that you know going to the gym if that's really important to you um it has taken a lot of things but I think what it has provided is space um you know whether it is to and some people might be equally avoidant of reflection I want to make that really clear because not everybody can tolerate reflecting on where they are and where they'd like to be if that makes sense Mm because feelings can be really hard to sit with actually but I think it provides an an a natural opportunity given this DWE in to reflect on, okay, well, what is important to me? What, what do I actually want from life? You know, um, is it that, you know, if you're home with your kids, yes, they're very challenging. My children are very challenging, but I also think to myself, I'm actually getting time with them that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten because they would have been with their, with their very amazing childminder. I think that people sometimes, I know that there's a lot of anxiety around, um, you know, what the future of the of children about you know how it is affect their future prospects because they can't do exams and stuff and I just want to, to pause for a second and think about you know what is important to you you know yes passing exams and having a career is you know is something to work towards but at the same day it's not necessarily a thing that defines us we will get there you know it's like your kids are potty trained, Amanda. And I'm sure, I, I know, for, let me speak for myself, but my first one as potty trained in her, I was so, even as a therapist, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? Like, <laughs> you know, like, why can't she get this? I mean, she was ready, but she's half ready. 
And then I had to stop and be like, you know what? I have yet to find. I've never met somebody who went off to university still in a nappy and is barring <laughs> any physical. Because some people obviously have have disabilities or or, or yeah, physical yeah. issues. But we're talking about, I mean, like healthy people. Nobody has gone to uni, you know, of their own accord and not potty trained. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like with our daughter when she didn't walk for the longest time and, and Amanda was a little concerned. I'm like, listen, she's not going to she's not gonna crawl to fucking elementary school. Don't yeah, worry about she- it. <laughs> didn't start walking until she was 19 months old. So at about 15 months, I said to Mark, like, you know, developmentally, she seems completely fine. You know, she was hitting all of her milestones. She was doing great. It was actually really hilarious to see because she it, she started speaking very early. So by 15, 16 months, she could actually like speak in broken sentences, yet mm-hmm. she can't walk. So then by 19 months, she could have a conversation with you, but she couldn't walk. But she do it from the floor. Yeah. So it was just the, <laughs> but I, I remember getting, starting to get a little stressed out. And so I actually got um, a pediatric physiotherapist to come do an in-home visit and just watch her and assess her and tell me like, is there anything developmentally that I'm missing? You know, is there a reason other than she just doesn't want to. And the physio spent probably about an hour to an hour and a half with her. I can't remember. And at the end of it, she said, you know what? She she'll walk when she feels like it. And probably within, I, actually, we had that assessment done maybe at 16 months. And then, yeah, about three months later, mm. it was out of the blue. She just stood up and walked. And I was like, could you do that the whole time? Like, <laughs> but I mean, right. I, as somebody who works in manual therapy, like I knew that there was nothing really like her muscular development was there. Like there, to me, it just it didn't make any sense. But yet, you know, there was the therapist side of me that would tell my clients, "Don't worry, they'll do it when they want to." Then there's the mom side of me that's like, "What the hell?" And yeah, Mark had to remind me, like, "You ever seen a kid crawl to kindergarten?" She'll be fine. And, you know, I always think, because I, I do hear people say about, you know, they're worried about their kids' developments and stuff. But then I also think about if you look at your social circle, Amanda and Mark, and, you know, your friends who are, you know, obviously thriving in life or whatever, whatever they're doing, doesn't matter what profession they're in. You can't tell usually by somebody's profession or whatever they're doing if, A, they had to repeat a grade, you know, B, if they failed their math exam in their second year of high school. You don't know if they they fail their SATs the first time. You can't tell. And I think people worry so much about society's expectations of what people should be doing or where they should be. And actually, this is actually a really good time for us to reflect on what would I like it to be? Does that make sense in a way? Yeah. Because we, we get so caught up with societal expectations, cultural expectations that these kids, okay, yeah, they, they want to do GS, GCSEs. Okay, they might be a year behind. I, I totally get these things and they're totally valid thoughts and, and concerns. Don't get me wrong at all. And like I said, if you look around, you can't tell from... You can't tell, look at people and think to yourself, oh, that person was in the year of the war when they had to skip a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't, you can't tell, you know? And I think people need to remember that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I agree with you that this, this period of time, like you said, not everyone's going to be able to use it for reflection, but I think a lot of people are, or at least using it as sort of a pause to figure out what, well, this is reflection, but maybe not just sitting with the feelings, but figuring out like, what do I actually want to do with my days? What am I not making time for? What, like you said, what is really important? So I think a lot of people are getting some positives out of this. I know for me and Mark, we've talked about this, we've realized how much unnecessary money we spend Mm. because not having any anywhere to go (laughs) well me (laughs) it's me it's me but realizing like you know now that I'm not going anywhere you know every morning I'm making my own coffee actually right now this made me realize I don't spend money yeah you don't but right now I'm I'm drinking a coffee this morning from Starbucks which is the first takeout coffee I've had and I don't know how long actually no that's a lie Mark got me a McDonald's one maybe a week or two weeks ago but I've been making my own coffee every morning I've been we've been doing home-cooked meals every day you know not ordering takeout. And I'm like, wow, the amount of money I spend on stuff that I actually don't need. But when I'm working and I'm busy, 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 it is normal behavior for me to think I don't have time to make that pot of coffee this morning. I'll just grab one on my way. You know, like it's so I actually heard on that same talk radio show this morning that uh, Tim Hortons is suffering. 
that Why? their their decline in drive through sales because people aren't going to work has hit them hard enough that they actually don't know if they're going to recover. I'm like, really? Tim Hortons? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You only think about the small businesses, but something like Tim Hortons, I never would have thought they would have an well, issue. Well, that's the majority of their business is, yep. is working yeah. individuals, right? People, yeah. People stopping before going to work, people going there for lunch and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of things that change post-pandemic. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that at least in your field, Daniela, that you guys are preparing for that. Um, I know for us as manual therapists, there's been a lot of talk about what it's going to look like for us because we unfortunately cannot offer our services virtually. I need to have my hands on you. No, of course. Yeah. So, you know, what is it going to look like when we go back? We don't know. And in the beginning, of course, that was a huge um, factor in terms of like my stress and my anxiety was, you know, how am I ever going to have a business again? And that doesn't seem to be the case for me anymore. I feel like I have so many clients who are, you know, reaching out and messaging me and saying like, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to come get a massage. And yeah, it might be slow to start, but I think that um, at some point we'll we'll be able to work the way that we always did. When things open up, do you think it's going to be a very kumbaya, loving, loving, happy moment of like everybody, you know, do you know, you get the vibe of what I'm saying? I get Or do the... you think it's going to be an extension of the, the, the fear and distancing and isolation? I think Daniela said it perfectly earlier. I think it depends on how you interpret things. If you're somebody that has already, was already maybe suffering with something like OCD and you're already afraid, you're going to continue with these measures because you're your brain isn't going to say like, oh, okay, the virus is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. I can go back to normal. If you're somebody that thinks like, okay, we're overreacting and, you know, long term, this isn't sustainable and this isn't good for us, then you might be kumbaya and happy and running out the door to go hug everybody you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Daniela, what do you think? No, I I completely agree. I think it just depends on where you are, you know, um, mentally um, and psychologically. I don't know how it's going to be after this, but what I do know is that we constantly adjust to things don't we um and I think that's important for everybody to remember that you know sometimes you worry about well how are how are things going to be you know like again it comes back to this one thing and certainty isn't it because there's so much uncertainty around what it's going to look like um but I think it's about figuring out for each individual and each workplace you know what's going to work moving forward and finding a new norm or whatever that might look like um and I know that you all are very hands-on so that would mean whatever you do it just means that you probably would be like you said you know maybe um at the beginning it might be something like checking temperature temperatures at the door for example um right. and it could be that you adjust to that and that becomes your new, your new regular and then six months later you know you no longer need to do that and you phase that out and I think we need to not underestimate our ability as humans to adjust the situations um and you know coming back to you know the the social aspect of it you know is that you know when they start to make whatever um adjustments they need to about how we phase back or whatever you know they will have some guidelines and I don't know how clear they will be and it will come down to interpretation but I think it's about coming back to what's what is realistic for you? Does that make sense? You know, um, I yeah. know my husband has already said, you know, I'm not going to work from going to work five days a week anymore in the office. I'll be working from home at least two days a week, you know. Mm. So well now he knows you know, he can. So, yeah. And he can. And 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 it makes me think about, you know, um, Mark asked about what the positives are. And actually I think about all of those companies that before said, No, you can't work from home. <laughs> Um, and this is not your sector because I want to make it really clear. Um, but, you know, whether it's marketing or, or something, I said, you know, no, you can't work from home. And then here we are all working from home. You know, um, obviously, I know that's not every single field, but obviously we've had to adjust to that. And I think it's about looking at how resilient we can be and how we can adjust to things, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a huge positive that's coming out of this is we're realizing how resourceful we can be and how flexible we can be. And I mentioned on a recording last night that not only... um, has, you know, have those positives come out of it, but also I'm noticing human behavior um, has changed, has shifted slightly for the better. In the beginning of this, what what did we have? We had panic, fear, greed, you know, everyone was buying up all the toilet paper, there was no supplies, everyone was really looking out for number one. And the longer mm-hmm. this has gone on, now we've got a whole bunch of people offering services for free, reaching out to people, you know, 
uh, starting fundraisers, making masks for frontline workers. Like now everybody's about how can I help somebody else who might be suffering more than I am? Yeah, I called it the three stages of fuck. (laughs) (laughs) The first stage was fuck the all the fear. Then the next stage was fuck the confusion. And the last stage is fuck, fuck it. I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a big positive out of this is also people realizing or taking a moment to step back and get out of their own bubble a little bit and recognize that, you know, you don't always have to be in such a hustle, hustle, hustle and make more money for you and make, you know, helping other people is a very, very good purpose to have in life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I think that a lot of people are recognizing how nice it is to make sure that everybody else is taken care of. And I'm seeing a lot more of it. It's making me feel much more hopeful than in the beginning when I was honestly, truthfully, very angry for a couple of weeks in the beginning, because I was like, why is everybody so concerned about themselves? Why does everybody think they have it worse than everybody else? Like that was actually Mm -hmm. really getting to me. It was making me very, not even sad. I was angry. Like, get your head out of your ass. You're not the only person suffering. Every Everybody's suffering. And I mean, I guess that's normal human behavior and I shouldn't have been so angry at them. But, you know, say la vie. No, but I mean, it, I, I would sort of normalize that thought, Amanda, and that's because that was your interpretation of, of that situation. And, and your values obviously are being very kind of activated there. But, you know, we should actually be supporting each other, not, not buying out all the people that's going to last the next two years and depriving <laughs> the other person, you know, um, and I think that that really is one of the key things, you know, is about how we look at the situation. I think there are going to be obviously a lot of drawbacks to after all this happens, particularly on mental health. But what I do hope is that, you know, um, if anybody is listening and they are struggling, you know, please speak to your GP. Um, well, we call it GP here, your doctor. Um, you know, if it is you're struggling, there are loads of mental health charities out there that offer free counseling even if it or or psychotherapy because it's not necessarily the same thing um and i would say you know sometimes they do free for whether it's six sessions um you know some some workplaces offering you know free mental health support you know so please look to see what is available in your area wherever you are um but but first of all, let's look at, let's come back to our community, you know. Like Amanda said, you know, at the beginning of our chat, you said, you know, I try to call it message at least two of my friends a day. You know, I know I have small children, but I, I try my best. And I think that's the thing. It's about, you know, coming back to us as a community. Um, I'm not saying that that your friend will know how to treat post-traumatic stress disorder and they really shouldn't. You should be speaking to a mental health professional. But even by saying, hey, I'm having a tough day, sometimes one of the most powerful things we can have is to know that we are not alone and that our feelings um, are being validated. Yeah, absolutely. It's not that you want other people to suffer, but I think that a comfort to a lot of people right now is, you know, the hashtag, we're in this together, knowing that you're not alone. And if you talk to somebody else, you know, not only will they be able to um, sympathize and empathize, like they're, we're all we're all dealing with something right now. So it is nice to have a community of people that you can reach out to. And if you don't have anybody, um, Daniela's advice is on point. There are definitely resources here in Canada for mental health um, assistance and help and resources that might be available for free if you don't have the funds to pay for something right now. Well, is there anything else before we let Daniela get back to watching Frozen for the 8,000th time? No, this has been good. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for taking time out of your only day of the week that you don't work and chatting with us about all things that you're an expert in. Cool, cool. Is there anything else you guys want to wrap on? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Daniela, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, except thank you very much. It was really lovely. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace. <laughs>